It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show on this uh, gorgeous September 16th. Uh, Jordan Blundell, the head coach and the AGM of the Edmonton Prospects, with me as well. Are you are you enjoying? I know you guys are supposed to play. Uh, you're the the boys of summer, yeah. uh, but are you enjoying the summer uh, right now? This like this <laughs> is really. the nicest stretch of <laughs> where was this in July for you guys, eh? Yeah, we touch on uh, the three months there: May, June, July, or June, July, August. The uh, the wettest in the history of Edmonton. Um, it's been great. It's been beautiful out. Uh, a lot of my friends are texting me saying, "Hey, man, what's what's with the weather right now? You guys should be playing." And yeah, that, that part's tough that we're not enjoying this weather uh, at Remax Field with our fans. But uh, what a great late fall for us. You know, I, I've always said, uh, don't use up your summer holidays until <laughs> September and October. That's you know, that's what I've always said because yeah. that's when everybody uh, enjoys such. Uh, well, we get we get we have a couple of those events at Remax Field. So you, last yeah. year we had Beer Fest, which is coming up this weekend at Remax Field. Last year we had the snow and sleet. It was early September, and it was just a horrible weekend. Great event. They did a great mm-hmm. job under the circumstances. That's coming up this weekend. We're really hopeful they get to kill it with great weather because we love to see that happen for them and this weekend we had uh veg fest a mm. vegan festival there this weekend and they got to enjoy great weather so we're lucky that some edmontonians are i drove past the uh, ballpark on the weekend and lots of cars and i thought wouldn't yeah. this be beautiful weather in july and, and i'm glad they had a good time uh, at that because uh, it's, a, it's a great facility uh, yeah. to have for the for those kind of events so we're going to touch on the waiting game that you guys are still playing. We're going to talk with Al Coates today, a legendary baseball voice in Edmonton. Of course, the voice of the Edmonton Prospects, but has covered a ton of teams. He's going to give us his all-time Trappers All-Star team, which is going to be really, really cool uh, when we get to that. And later on, we are going to be doing our top five baseball movies and i did a lot of research for this this weekend so i'm pumped about this yeah there was a lot of response uh there may be some ill will towards us if we don't get the top five right yeah we will we'll (laughs) get our top five and then we'll get some of the uh the top five that were uh, tweeted into us as well but uh let's get things going hey God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. All right, uh, the news in Edmonton is no news, uh, unless you have a uh, a scoop to give me today. Yeah, I think no news right now is good news for us. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the like like the process with the city is is obviously a, a really important part of the river crossing plan, and and. You know, uh, from my take, which I, I don't really know anything, Dino, uh, we haven't got to that point yet, but they've got a lot of things to consider and a lot of stuff to get done. And, you know, we're hopeful and looking forward to, uh, you know, a long-term relationship. We're very hopeful for that. Um, you know, we're doing everything in our power to do that. Uh, we've had a great response from our fans here since the, since the season's completed. 
Um, you know, a lot of people support us. We've had a lot of supportive messages um, and a lot of inquiries like, hey, what's going on? How are you guys mm -hmm. doing? Where are we at? And, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we can uh, bring some good news to the prospect fan base here, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the month. All right. Uh, looking forward to that for sure. Um, okay. So the one thing I want to touch on today was something that was really scary that happened last yeah. week, and that's uh, an injury with uh, Tim Meza of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, I'll just tell a quick story. When I was first in broadcasting and I was covering senior baseball, which was pretty big in Brandon, uh, we would uh, go out with our television cameras and, and cover it. There was a guy who threw a ball that, you know, bounced seven, eight feet in front of him and, and rolled to the to the mound. And I kind of started laughing in the press box. And there was a, a veteran um, broad, uh, writer beside me, um, uh, Ted Wyman, who uh, now works uh, in, covers the Jets in, in Winnipeg for the uh, Winnipeg Sun. Anyway, he was at the Brandon Sun and he said, don't laugh when you see that because you never know if there's an injury. And that was one of the most valuable lessons I've ever had uh, in broadcasting is, uh, you know, Make sure, you know, if the, if the pitcher gets up and he's got a, uh, a smile on his face because it slipped out of his hand, or what, and not that I think he would be smiling, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and then I watched that Tim Mesa injury on the weekend, and, and that's, what I, uh, that's what I thought about. Um, you know, from a guy who played and has probably, you know, not had injuries that severe, but had injuries or watched players, and what went through your mind when you saw Tim Mesa? You know, obviously he needs Tommy John surgery yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I know it's uh, horrible to see on the field. You saw they they panned some of the reaction of the players. Um, you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's a teammate. It's a it's a friend. It's a fellow competitor. Even if you're on the other in the other bench, um, well, when you see a ball miss the plate by so much, you know, you, you first of all you like you, you don't know what's happened, and then and then it sets in that he's on the ground. This is not good. Um, you know, pitchers have pinpoint control, you know, within an inch or two usually. And, and you know, to, to see that on the field, um, you know, I, I feel for him. Um, the, the worst injury I ever saw was actually, I've got two, they're tied, uh, uh, a batter, uh, a teammate of mine on a trip to Toronto back when I was in high school took a fastball to the face mm. and and that basically ended his career he was never able to recover to the level that he was at on the same trip Dino um, one of my teammates was trying to leg one out to first base and I had a perfect view I was watching the play I was watching first base um, he lunged out landed on the base rolled his ankle and then it was dangling there and and like it's it's something that I'll never forget seeing. I, I, I haven't been on the field to see an arm go out, thankfully. I've seen a couple things that, uh, you know, I wish I didn't see on the field. And, man, my heart goes out to him. Uh, it would be a long recovery. Uh, apparently, he's never had surgery. He's never really been on the DL. He's never gone through any of this, never had an MRI. Um, so he's, he's going to get a taste of what all that is here coming up. Yeah, the, the, the pain uh, that he was in. Yeah. Um, the anguish from teammates. The worst I ever saw was Dave Dravecki. And I don't know if you remember that story, but he had uh, had a cancerous tumor removed from his arm in, uh, in like the late 80s. And so, he, you know, he went through uh, all of that and worked his way back into the giant system. And then in his second start back, he broke his, uh, broke his arm yeah. uh, on a pitch. It was his humerus bone. 
Uh, he was actually pitching to uh, to Tim Raines. And then and he broke a, a bone during a celebration with a team after the NLCS. But uh, stuff like that, you just it just cringes me. It's just so. like, you know, anyway, so our, our thoughts and obviously uh, hope for recovery go out to uh, Tim Mesa because, man, that was just, this just anguish. And the well, whole baseball community feels it, right? Yeah, it well, doesn't matter yeah. if you're a Blue Jays fan or not. Yeah, exactly. And and even even with it, when and if he, he gets healthy, there'll, there'll be a, a mental hurdle that he'll need to overcome as he's getting close to full recovery and full mode. Um, the, the thought and, and the memory of that happening will still be there. Uh, and that'll be also something on the mental side of the game that he's going to have to mm. overcome. So yeah, hope, hope for the best here for Tim Meza. Yeah. There's some, some gruesome injuries. I remember Moises Alou had yeah, that uh, ankle dangling. Oh, so oh. anyway, let's go, let's move on <laughs> yeah. because I'm getting a little bit queasy yeah, here. Good, and, uh, good call. Um, uh, let's let, let's tell you that if you want to chime in on any of the topics uh, that we bring up, feel free on Twitter. We're at prospects pod. You can get Jordan at Jordan Blundell for I'm at duck Millard. And of course you can follow the eminent prospects at ED prospects we are on instagram at prospects baseball show we are on facebook at prospects baseball show you can email us prospects baseball show at gmail.com and check us out at prospectsbaseballshow.ca. and of course for all of the edmonton prospects news tickets information you can check out prospectsbaseballclub.com. um okay um struggling um is not a term we have used for cody bellinger no, we have not. But he has not, he has just two home runs since August 18th. That, in Cody Bellinger terms, is struggling. Yeah. The end of the season, it's a long season. He's found a funk. Um, maybe there's something that's lingering that we don't know fully. You know, Maybe there's a, a small injury or a season-long thing that's caught up to him finally. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dodgers are going through a little bit of that. Uh, although Hyung-Jun Roo just had a really good outing against yeah. the Mets after four or five brutal outings. Yeah, we, we talked about yeah, that, right? So he's, he's bounced back. Uh, Kershaw that, Syndergaard, uh, I watched that Friday night while I was on hold for two and a half hours with Pizza Hut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you followed that uh, thread or not, but... It was, it was awesome watching those two, but you're right. They're going through uh, funk. Okay, to play devil's advocate, because I'm a Dodgers yep. fan, good. Get your funk out of the way. That's how you have to think about it if you're, if oh, you're, that, you're in that if, like If you're Dave Roberts, that's what you're probably thinking about, right? Yep. Hey, just stay healthy. We'll, we'll get through this. A little bit of worry, little bit of worry there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Belly's had that uh, at two years ago in the playoffs. It wasn't great. The World Series Game Seven wasn't great. That yep. whole that whole playoff really wasn't wasn't very good for him. Um, MVP candidate though. Like let's not let's not forget what he's done so far this year. Uh, Muncy's back. Um, you know they've got a ton of depth there. You know sometimes I wonder about their their strict strategy with the analytics and how they move guys around. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the year, that comfort in knowing where you're going to be in the lineup and what position you're in. The Dodgers don't have that as much as other teams. The Braves, for instance, have everyday guys at the same spots in the same lineup. Um, there's some consistency there for them. Uh, it was a concern of mine last year with the Dodgers because you had you know they had David Freeze starting because they were playing matchups and and. You know, guys are on the, why, why are we doing this? This is game on. It's, it's You're almost you're out thinking yourself. It seems Sometimes like it a little bit. So. And you know what? Listen, they have a 20 and a half game lead. Yeah, they got a little bit it's of It's really <laughs> easy to get too comfortable in that situation. And 
I would rather them being too comfortable now than in uh, yeah. you know game one of the NLDS. So or, or the worry whatever. is, can they turn it back on? And then the other concern is when when the Mets were playing the Dodgers, like nobody wants to see the Mets. Yeah, like that pitching staff with the bullpen is tremendous. So as long as Syndergaard's not uh, pitching to Ramos, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so. The other thing in, in the National League is we talked about Christian Yelich getting hurt last week. The Brewers are nine and one in their past ten. They're they, like they're playing almost better yeah. without. Like how long can this can last? They they're, it. they're three games back of St. Louis now in the NL Central, and that's been uh, you know uh, kind of a close race all year. And they're a game back of the uh, wild card, the the first wi- second wild card uh, spot currently held by Chicago. Can they keep this up? Yeah, yeah, they can. Uh, it, it, it begins and ends with pitching. They've got a couple of guys that, that can do it. They're bullpen with Hader at the back end. If they need him to go two innings, he can do that. But they haven't done that as up, much. Who steps up continuously yeah. for Yelich? Like that's what I'm wondering. Like, you lose a, a starting pitcher, you know, even if it's Verlander, and the Astros have guys, okay. But you lose that everyday MVP. Yeah. Who? It, like, how long no can one. you sustain without that, that guy? That's the question. How long can it be sustained? How long can you can you tread above water? Which right now they're not. They're they're flying on all cylinders. Um, when you lose a player of that magnitude, there's nothing you can do. You cannot replace it. Um, you, you hope that some guys step up and and take the opportunity and you know, get bumped up in the lineup a little bit and, and flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there always is a is a comeback down to earth here at some point. So maybe there's enough time for them to sneak in. They right at that limit. You know, I I, I feel like Yelich not being there is going to hurt him here it in a week. To. If they it do does. make it, man, that's an incredible. Really, you know, th- propels Craig yeah. Council maybe into manager of the year territory. Yeah. Here's what I worry though: even if they do make it, how much gas do they have? And I'll look right at you. You guys had a marathon weekend to get into the playoffs. Yeah. You even won a game in the playoffs, but I'd imagine when you looked around that dugout after game three against Okotoks, you saw uh, some dejected faces, but some really tired bodies, man. <laughs> Just the amount of baseball that you had played. Yeah, and It's yeah, not for an excuse sure. at all. Nope. It's a fact. Yeah. And, and I see the same thing with the Brewers. Even if they get in, how do they keep it going in the playoffs? Well, that's the thing. How can they keep it going? Like for us in our situation, uh, you know, the guys just bought into each other. They, it was really cool to to be a part of their coming together mm-hmm. at the end of the year. And and at the end of that seven game and five day, there was there were some tired bodies. They they had some time off there, but they were recharged again for the playoffs. You know, and, and like I hate to look back on this, but you know, we had a really good opportunity in game one to get get a W and we didn't take advantage. We weren't able to execute. So, um, Hey man, baseball players, baseball players, they, they love playing. They love this time of year. And and this is where, this is where it boils down to. You're able to make a name for yourself at this time of year, might get you an extra year or two at the end of your career somewhere as a role player or one, one more shot on a one year deal of guaranteed money. Um, guys in the big leagues know that if they're able to produce on a stretch run, get some big hits for a team, you know, that's something that people remember. Uh, front offices remember that. So um, guys are playing hard. They're, they're, this is about their team, but also their potential career earnings. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, uh, we're going to do a little history class in one second. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. 
All right, in history class today, we're going back to 1993. Mm. Crocus Plains High School, class of Dean Millard. <laughs> uh, um, and we're talking about Dave Winfield. And uh, he collected his 3,000th hit on this day. Um, and it did not make any contact with any kind of uh, <laughs> bird or seagull, uh, which got him arrested in uh, Toronto. Uh, but this is the really cool thing about uh, Dave Winsfield's uh, success. And I, I, I didn't have a time to check if anybody else has done this, but he became just the second guy to collect 3,000 hits without ever spending a second in the minors. Crazy. Like, is. There, there are guys that do that. They're rare, though. Even some of the best players yes. spend time in the minors. So. Uh, 12-time All-Star. Dave Winfield was just a beast. He was. He just was consistent, right? Yeah. You know, you know, you know. I don't think he was ever hitting three forty, but nope, he yeah. was hitting power. Yeah, career bombs. career average uh, two eighty, maybe two eighty three. Yeah. You know, twelve time All Star, like we said, seven time Gold Glove. Like you don't think of that, right? You don't. He he was a true five tool guy. Yeah, we're gonna he, have like a, he wasn't slow. He wasn't fast, but he could move. We're gonna have a trivia question later, which which will tell you exactly how much of an athlete this guy was. Yeah. And uh, you know what? He was just an absolute beast. But 3,000 hits and he never played in the minors. You know why? Because he was so sought after. He probably said, you want me? I'm going straight to the big leagues. Yeah. Or else I'm going to go to this this other team and sport that wants me as well. Yeah, you know you're pretty good when you're telling telling the organization how it's going to play out. And then, mm. and then to get to the Hall of Fame, he was the first ballot guy. I guess he was right. Well, it's like, uh, you know, you look at Kyler Murray. He wanted to, uh, he, he used baseball as a threat from the, to the A's that he, and then he ended up going to yeah. football or use football rather. Yeah. Uh, but he was a guy that was kind of trying to do that. And, and listen, I love football. I called a junior football game yesterday uh, in the uh, Prairie Football Conference. But if my kid had a choice between baseball and football, and uh, the, the the knowledge we know about CTE now, I would be pushing him towards baseball. Not that it's not, there's not physical contact in baseball, but you're not on every play, yeah. like in football or, or hockey. So to each their own. And, uh, you know, um, guy, Kyler Murray, you know, looks and he can make a lot more money in football than he can in baseball, but you weigh the risks uh, afterwards. And, and Dave Winfield was the opposite. He could have went and played football, and he ended up playing baseball for, as a 12-time All-Star, over 3,000 hits. So... Think he made the right decision. Ah, memories. Tell us your best baseball story, and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. All right, in our baseball memories today, uh, mine is about batting practice. And, and I hope next year uh, we can create a memory for uh, one of our listeners and get them out to the batting practice. I know we'll do that, uh, providing everything works out with you guys, that we'll get some of those contest winners out to do some BP. Um, but, but that's my memory. is uh, I, And that's what kind of spawned that contest idea is I took batting practice from Tommy John once, who was a Trapper's pitching coach. Um, and it was just like... Being on that baseball field where, and we're going to hear some of the names that Al Coates called over the years in, in a little bit, you know, being on that same field as some of these guys was so, and actually taking batting practice. And I don't know how slow Tommy John had to gear down for us media guys, 
but I, you know, like I go in a batting cage at 70 miles per hour now. I can't catch up to the ball. Like that's how, that's, I've no, I haven't played that. And so he was, but it was awesome. I was like, you know, I bet you I hit four into the outfield. And they were all Texas leaguers. But there was a great feeling. And then we got to go out and we would shag the balls for everybody else. So, you know, you're taking short hops off that uh, concrete field, it seems, yeah. back then. And and uh, playing in the outfield. But, uh, you know, being on a professional baseball. Like, I've, I had the opportunity to play at Rexall Place uh, against yep. Kevin Lowe and Charlie Huddy and Craig Simpson. It was before the first Heritage Classic. Remember oh, the original? Nice. Oh, yeah. They wanted to get in shape. So Kevin Carius, John Sexsmith, and I went and played against them. And I think Keegan Lowe was actually, uh, Keegan Lowe was playing with us that day. I took a, a shot from Charlie Huddy in my hand that it ached for a week. And Charlie Huddy's not Al McKinnis. No. But it's, you know, so what I'm saying is Tommy John wasn't throwing 95 miles an hour, but we were still, it was still authentic. It was cool. And, you know, I was doing the same thing that uh, Jose Canseco or Mark McGuire or Barry Bonds did in the day. With, they had a little bit more fanfare, but <laughs> yeah. I was in the same, doing the same, uh, you know, th- it was just cool to put yourself in a professional's shoes for five minutes. Yeah, no, so that's, that, that, that's really that's, cool. That's my batting practice uh, a memory on, on that one because it was just, you know, and, and listen, Tommy John didn't have the, uh, uh, he's not known for his uh, uh, stats. He's known for the surgery that everybody yeah. seems to get. It's like a lot of people, baseball fans don't know who <laughs> Lou Gehrig is. They know what Lou Gehrig's disease is, right? So Tommy John's name is very familiar in, in sports if that's the if that's the one guy you get to take BP off of, that's a pretty cool yeah, thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, well, I've got two BP stories. I got a quick one for for me. My uh, cup of coffee with the Independent League, the Schaumburg Flyers. Uh, the first day I got there, um, that was the best batting practice I've ever taken. Everything <laughs> was on a line. Everything was executed properly. I felt so great that day. Um, laid my bunt, the bunt worked down with beautiful bunt after beautiful bunt. Hit everything was just executed. Um, that was that was the best day I ever remember taking BP. I was jacked up too. Uh, but but uh, did you have a good game that day? Do you remember? No, nah, not really. Okay, not really. It, it didn't translate. Okay, okay. Um, the BP memory I have though, uh, I was young. I was uh, eighteen. I guess I would have been nineteen. I went on a trip with uh, a bunch of Edmonton guys. There was a, there was an academy back in the day. Uh, we went to Toronto. It was a two week long, couple different tournaments. Uh, you know, just a really awesome trip. So we went to a Blue Jays game. Tampa Bay Devil Rays were in town at the time. They mm-hmm. had Wade Boggs and they had Jose Canseco. Um, so we were there for BP. I love going to the pregame BP. That's uh, it's almost the it's like the warm most, up in hockey. Yeah, you, you get to you watch it. a guy yeah. in his own little individual environment. Totally, right? totally. So Wade Boggs BP Dino um, Hall of Fame hitter. Obviously, mm-hmm. he uh, he put on an absolute clinic of batting practice. So what he did was he hit line drives that went over the wall from the left field foul pole to the right field foul pole that would have cleared the fence by 10 feet all the way around. So they got bigger in distance and it was just lasers. Like targets. Target practice. Targets target almost. practice. Unbelievable sight to see. What control. Eh? Yeah. That, and it, this was even late after his great Boston years, yeah, right? Yeah. He was uh, on the downswing yeah, there. But I think he got in, his 3000th hit. That's right. Yeah. The year or two. It was right around that time. And then to see Jose Canseco take BP, you know, he's moonshots just off the, off the foot, like the, hard rock cafe windows like fifth deck type stuff like 
his load. The, like the Serrano power. before curveballs, right? <laughs> oh, Remember oh. Serrano in Major League, and then they start throwing him the curveballs. But yeah, like that's Conseco, just oh. moonshots. It was it was a sight to see, man. Like I can imagine what it would have been like in '98 to go see McGuire and Sosa's BP, and and oh. to know what Conseco was doing and and how far he was hitting balls at BP. I mean, I mean that really did bring baseball back on the map with oh, a long ball like yeah. that. And then baseball, you know, sewered them all by because they didn't have any rule and they didn't like it anymore. But yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know what? It's like, uh, you know, I was, I would go sometimes early for uh, Oilers game day skates and you'd get out there and there'd be different guys working on things like, uh, I can't remember who it was. Actually, I do now. It was Tobias Reeder. Oddly enough, didn't score any goals during the regular season, but I saw him out there one time and I bet you he had like 13 in a row top right can corner. He just sat there and just shot top right can corner and then moved to the next one and moved to the next. There's no goalie in that or whatever. And, and obviously scoring was hard for Tobias Reeder this year, but it was just cool to see them work on their individual skill. And that's kind of like what BP is, right? Yeah, you're, totally. you're getting your swing, Feel. your rhythm, all yeah. that stuff. And, and for Wade Boggs to be a basically target practice, uh, that's just uh, that's just absolutely uh, amazing. So uh, you can send us uh, your baseball memory, and uh, we can get it on the air. We don't have the uh, sweet contest anymore, but we will bring that uh, back. But uh, send us a note with your favorite baseball memory. All right, let's get set for our uh, big guest today. Play ball! Very pleased to have uh, legendary baseball voice Al Coates joining the program called the uh, Edmonton Prospects Games this year with ICU Video. Al, thanks very much for joining the Prospects Baseball Show today. How are you? Good, very well. How are you doing? Uh, we are excellent, thank you. Um, I guess let's start with, uh, you know, being behind the mic this year for the Prospects. Uh, what, what did you think about the year and what did you think about the uh, Western Canadian Baseball League? Well, you know, on a good day, it's a really good brand of baseball. Their players are well-schooled. They know the game. They know how to execute the game. It was nice to be back behind the mic. I didn't know really what to expect, but uh, I was very impressed with ICU video. We uh, put out a pretty good show, I thought. Yeah, as far as uh, the WCBL talent, uh, you know, we saw a couple of guys on, on our ball club that uh, – you know, really had some special qualities to them as baseball players. Um, are, are there a couple guys that uh, stood out for you this year, maybe on our team, uh, the prospects, or, or some of our opponents that you saw that, you know, really uh, really caught your imagination as baseball players? Well, on your ball club, I thought your, uh, I thought your right fielder is a legitimate draftable ball player. I thought he was a five-tool player. That'd be Travis Hunt. Uh, yeah, Travis from Moreno Valley, California. He plays at uh, Benedictine University in Arizona. And yeah, I agree with you. He's uh, he's got all the tools, uh, the mindsets there, and and man, that kid works hard too. So yeah, we hope for the best for him, and and hopefully we don't see him back here in Edmonton next summer because he'll have an opportunity. Yeah, he's a five-tool ball player. He can run, he can field, he can throw, and those three skills you can take it. Up to any level in baseball, running is running, fielding is fielding, and throwing is throwing. It's no different in the American League than it is in the Western Canada League. He had some power. He could pull the ball a little bit, and he had a good batting average. Yeah, he's a nice player. I thought Hunter Boyd was one of the best right-hand pitchers in the league. He was a treat to watch each and every time out. Those would be the two players that 
stand out for me on the 2019 prospects. I totally agree with you on uh, on Hunter Boyd. I thought uh, I thought he had a great personality for a pitcher. We had him out here on the podcast. Podcast and the amazing story is the amount of surgeries he had. One arm was longer than the other. It ended up, and and he still can uh, be very effective on the mound. So it shows a lot about his uh, determination, doesn't it, Al? Well, if he just had another foot and a half on his fastball, he'd be a draftable player. He had an excellent curveball changeup. Uh, always pitched ahead in the county. He had one subpar start, and even then he hung around and pitched the entire distance. That was the first end of a doubleheader against uh, Fort McMurray. I think he was just played out. But other than that, each and every time out, he was just a treat to watch. So, Al, uh, you know, having a year behind your belt, uh, watching the WCBL Baseball League and, and the level and the caliber of the players, um, you know, what do you think about the future of the WCBL here in Edmonton and, and what this league and, and the Prospects franchise has brought to the Edmonton baseball fan? Well, I've, you know, about six, seven years ago, we did a few games for the Prospects on radio. And at that time, there was more people in the field than there was in the stands, Uh and it didn't look very good, a 9,200-seat park with 45 people. But, but i got to give the man credit. He's brought that franchise back a long, long way, and it's not easy to do. Baseball is not an easy sport to run. You're weather-dependent. You know, it's not easy. Well, this July was just awful, um, you know, for anybody wanting to do anything outdoors. And, uh, Al, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a weekend that the uh, prospects had going into the playoffs where, you know, you had triple headers and back-to-back double headers and, you know, uh, the, the hard on the players. and must uh, have been know, hard on you. Hard too. on the voice, too, <laughs> calling that many games in such a short span. There wasn't seven games in five days. Yeah. Uh, split double headers. We had one of those. We had back to back double header as well. Of course, the week previous, we had the, the Rainforest Twin Bill on the Sunday afternoon with the Curry Club. And I give kudos to the players. I mean, professional baseball is an everyday sport. People don't believe that some of those guys in the big leagues will play every day. Every day. And that's not easy to do. That's part of the bend in the river that delineates an amateur player from a professional player. Yeah, they got a, They definitely got a taste of, of what it's like to uh, get in that grind. And, and, you know, our season is like that. We had 56 games and, you know, you know high 60s amount of days. And, um, you know, it turned out that uh, as the weather dictated for us, probably the, the wettest three months on record, uh, uh, you know, we had to do what we had to do at the end of the year. Uh, it was a fun ride. Uh, we had fun listening to your broadcast, Al. Um Tell me a little bit about how you got uh, your start uh, with baseball and broadcasting. I guess that would have been in the early 80s. How'd you get started doing the Trappers uh, back then? Well, my first baseball broadcast, I was an all-night disc jockey at CFGP in Grand Prairie. And they had their uh, annual sports day or two-day deal. And part of it was a, a baseball tournament. And I said, hey, I'll do this game. I got, okay, fine. They gave me six, 50 bucks, I think to do it, and it was the uh, Grand Prairie Athletics and the Fairview Outlaws in the Wheatbelt Baseball League, so that's how I got my start. A uh, question on Twitter came in from Chris Harold, and he said, how did you break into sports broadcasting, and did you go to school for radio and television? Was that actually your first foray into sports broadcasting, that game? Pretty much, yeah. I started out as a disc jockey. I took a course... When I was in grade 12 at Kalmar High School uh, from a guy named John Bohannes, it's called the National Institute of Broadcasting. You've got a bunch of uh, 
LPs and scripts, and you just started working on it. And uh, got my first job at Edson in 1972, and just kicked around the uh, minor leagues for a lot of years. The big market stations, Edmonton only had about four of them in those days. It wasn't like it is now. You had to wait your turn. I guess my first sportcasting job I was at CKRD in Red Deer. was a news guy and a good friend of mine. is still a friend of mine. He was out here and he fishes occasionally. Tim Dancy was the sports guy. And he got elevated to go do the play-by-play of the Regina Pats, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I slipped into that chair. And uh, that's how I got my start. Just happened to be at the right place at the time. Oh, that's uh, excellent. Uh, one of my old haunts, uh, RDTV. I worked there as well. Um, I love uh, baseball on the radio. I think it is one of the the coolest things. I love driving across the prairies back to Manitoba, and if I can pick up a baseball game, uh, I love it. Who are the Who are the announcers? Who are the play by play guys that you looked up to, Al? That maybe influenced your call. Well, uh, being where we were, you didn't have professional baseball on the radio to listen to. They're just I guess the closest team would have probably been Seattle. So you didn't have satellite radio, you didn't have all those things. But watching it on TV, I'd say Kurt Gowdy was maybe the best that ever lived. And I realized that the late, they're not late. Ben Scully, he's still alive, thank goodness, was probably the guy that's considered to be the greatest. But you might not be old enough to remember Gowdy, but he was the play-by-play voice of one of the Yankees and then forever the Red Sox and radio. The Celtics, he was the voice of the Rose Bowl, the World Series, the NFL. He, this guy did it all, and I mean he did it all. What about, uh, you mentioned his name, Vin Scully. Uh, for me, um, he's he's my all-time favorite, and, and for me, I consider him uh, the greatest. I just, I, you know, I loved the, the, the poignant moment. Kirk Gibson's home run in 88, he let the crowd enjoy it for a little bit. And Bob Cole does this really well in hockey. But, you know, what can you say about Vin Scully? I believe you met him once, did you not? I met him at a Blue Jays exhibition game with the Dodgers, the CTV. Netper carried the Blue Jay games in those days, and the affiliates got to send a guy. So they sent me that particular year, and then I just went to our camp in Arizona. In two days, I met two Hall of Fame broadcasters. One was Scully uh, with the Dodgers. And he, uh, even back in those days, must have been wearing about 3000 bucks worth of clothes. He was just class personified. And the next day, I met another Hall of Famer who looked like he got his wardrobe out of Walmart. And that was Ernie Harwell, play-by-play voice of the Detroit Tigers. Nice man, too. That's great. Uh, I love hearing those stories. I know we had some some opportunity this summer to to hang out in the uh, coach's office and talk about some things from back in the day. And um, you know, we had mentioned a couple of the guys and the prospects that you enjoyed watching, and Travis Hunt and Hunter Boyd. And yeah, I wanted to to get uh, some names maybe from from your time with the Trappers. Uh, you know, from the early '80s up until uh, when they left in '04, uh, they had. Uh, the, the Anaheim Angels in 99 and 2000, uh, they had uh, you know may, maybe more than nine players on those two uh, AAA teams that ended up winning a ring with the, with the Angels in 2002. Al, just wondering uh, if you have some guys that maybe stood out more than others uh, over your time covering the Edmonton Trappers and, and uh, the Pacific Coast League. Well, you mentioned the O2 Angels. The guy was in our ballpark this summer at the All-Star game that has one of those Angels rings, that blue coat. And Louie's doing a real nice job working for the Okotoks uh, Baseball Foundation or whatever it's called, instructing players. He, by the way, has got a, 
I think he's a 14-year-old son, six foot five. He throws the ball over 90, so he's not going to get drafted. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about... Uh, I'll tell you, I'll give you my all-star team of the Trappers, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I like it. be Casey Blake, uh, the big leagues with the Twins, played some of the Dodgers. I'll uh, delineate the thing. The old ballpark, the best shortstop was Gus Polidor and that rock pile we had for an infield. And then when we moved to the new park and the artificial turf, Jorge Valandia, one year we had the Oakland A's, he had a 990 fielding average, which means 99% of the balls he got to, he made a play on. That's pretty hard to top. The McLemore at second base, uh, probably Tyler Van Berkeleo, the big first baseman that made most of his money in Japan, but he was six foot five and he won a big target at first base. The Kittle in left field would be Jim Edmonds in center. And it would be either Tim Salmon or Dante Bichette, whose young son is wowing everybody with the Blue Jays. He'd be the right fielder. Our best catch and throw guy behind the plate was probably Jerry Naren. And Kirk McCaskill would be my starting pitcher. Oh, that's a hell of an outfield, man. Like, the, 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 just, uh, you know, even I just can't fathom, uh, you know, w- when you watch those guys, you know, were, were you like, yep, this guy, you know, Dante Bichette, he is destined to be a Major League Baseball player. Or or did you ever think that about anybody? Because the road is, you know, so different for everybody. Well, I'll tell you what, an infielder went on to play 22 seasons in the Major Leagues. In the first half of the first year he was with us, he led. he had about 22 errors. And I thought this is the way this guy's going to play in the big leagues, but Damian Easley. Wow. But uh, Lenny Ciccato was one of our coaches. said, don't worry about him. He's going to turn this deal. This guy is a ball player. And he was 22 years in the major leagues in the infield. Tell you what, though. You want to see a movie that really tells you what the minor leagues is like. And I can't remember the name of it. Clint Eastwood starred in it, but he's an old scout traveling with old scouts. And that's just exactly the most truthful baseball movie I ever saw. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, Trouble with the Curve, that's called. And uh, you're right, it is an excellent uh, baseball movie. Um, so we talked about some of the guys that you watched uh, with the Trappers. Who do you like to watch today? Uh, who, do you, who do you like uh, in today's game? Who gets you excited about baseball? Well, I think what you saw yesterday, you saw... Uh, the young Bichette dropped down a drag bunt, beat it out. And so there it's okay, the guy can run. He is quick through the hit zone of that bat. He's an excellent shortstop. And you're seeing that new Blue Jay infield. Two left-hand hitters on the right side of the diamond, two right-hand batters on the left side. I don't know what you guys think, but I think that is the potential to be one of the best infields in the majors. Yeah, with the with a combination of youth and speed and athleticism, um, projectability. You know, they've got uh, you know the big league lineage. Uh, they got some power there. Um, you know, Calvin Biggio for me, I I, I really respect and I love watching his approach at the plate. Uh, he he's not willing to get himself out. You know, I think he, that bodes well for his numbers to improve here as he uh, matures into a big leaguer. And then obviously Bichette and, and Guerrero, uh, those two guys' names speak for themselves. They've been they've they've gotten off to a, an unbelievable start. Um, Al, I wanted to, uh, to touch on uh, your experience with uh, the indie ball circuit, and and you uh, had a couple of different roles uh, over the few years that there was independent baseball here in Edmonton. Just wanted to get your take on. Uh, 
the the experience that you had uh you know obviously being at the triple a level and and you know maybe the differences between what you were doing and and in the trappers organization and and when that transitioned into independent baseball what was that experience like for you here in edmonton well i say the same thing on a good day independent professional baseball and that was in the Northern League. You really couldn't tell the difference between it and the AAA uh, game if you had the good players. But that's the key. You have to try to figure out you've got uh, a budget you have to live with because they, they'll find out if you cheat and they won't like it. And huh. the, the master of that was the guy down in Fargo, North Dakota, Simonick. Year in, year out, he, he had himself a real good club. Because what you're doing is you're, you're getting players that nobody else wants. That's simply it. That's what the independent league is. It's players that the big leagues have said, okay, thank you very much. Have a good day. Not easy to do. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, that's a that's a never-ending recruiting job and, and to have eyes and ears all over North America to try and find the, the right fit for your organization. Um, so you, uh, you ended up being the general manager as well with the Cracker Cats in 07. So you, you had a little bit of experience you know, recruiting and trying to find those guys. What was that like for you uh, that, that year? And, and kind of how did you start to build that roster in 07? Well, you know what? I didn't want to be the general manager. I just soon stay as the, the play-by-play voice. But the owner said, well, you can be the general manager and the play-by-play voice, or you can be nothing. Take your pick. So I said, well, I guess I'll take the ladder. Or the sooner, not the ladder. But I tell you what, I mean, I had three hitters in the top ten in the league. I had three pitchers in the top ten in the league, and we still finished last. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Al, do you think that the Western Canadian Baseball League is the right level of baseball for Edmonton right now? The moon and the stars and the sun had to come together perfectly for us to get a triple-A club. And once they finally got uh, the Eskimo sold the trappers for a nice little profit, I don't think we'll be getting triple-A back. So until an affiliated minor league situation comes around, the Western Canada League is Edmonton's baseball. That's simple. That league has got a few things it's got to clean up, too. I mean, some of the smaller towns, I'll, you know, I'll give the Yorkton Bowl Club all kinds of credit. They came up there with nothing. I mean, they were pulling pitchers out of the outfield and outfielders going in to pitch. They gave us the best they could. It wasn't much, but the three games, it was easy for those guys just not to show up. But I think that's the crossroads the league is at, is trying to keep the smaller places competitive. Yeah, you know, it's uh, definitely something that uh, we're, we're always concerned with at, uh, you know, the league level. I, I get a little bit of an opportunity to sit in and, and discuss different, uh, you know, league initiatives and, and future and growth of the league. And, um, you know, we are, we're always hopeful we're able to, to put the best product on the field and, and have healthy and viable franchises. So, um, I guess we'll see here moving forward, uh, you know, with us as well and, and uh, some of the other teams in our league. Um, today on the show, Al, we're going to get into uh, a, a top five baseball movies list. And I wanted to get your number one baseball movie of all time, Al. Do you, do you have a, a favorite baseball movie? 42. Okay. Oh, yeah. I just watched that uh, recently, Al, and... Uh, it's you know what I was a big fan of uh, Jesse Owens in the movie Race and and what he had to deal with at the thirty six Olympics and learning more about Jackie Robinson was so amazing and one of the great parts was uh, you know Red Barber in that movie right so uh, that is just such a, a an amazing story of 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 how Branch Rickey really you know you know pioneered baseball in the integration he was the the motor behind it. What he knew was, and I knew his grandson quite well, he was the president of the Pacific Coast League, 
there was just that big gap, all that great talent that was not being used in major baseball. And Robinson, who came out of the South, he went to UCLA. He was a star track and field guy. He was a star basketball player. He was a running back. And he went to baseball. It was the only sport that paid. And uh, got drafted into the U.S. Army, came out of there. So what a great story. And that uniform number is retired by every team. will never, ever be worn again, number 42. Yeah, uh, except for that one day where everybody wears 42 to honor uh, Jackie Robinson. It, it's so great. And, you know, I just loved, uh, you know, I'm a Dodger fan, but learning about the history and, you know, how Pee Wee Reese embraced Jackie Robinson and things like that. And, you know, there was obviously detractors. They threw at his head. He led the league in being hit by pitch. But to see some of those core Dodger Hall of Famers come together and really welcome him and, and help him made me feel really good. Well, they, they were smart, too. They set up his first professional year out here in Canada. He played with the Montreal Royals in the International League, where there wasn't as much racism as there was down in the down in the South. They trained in Havana, Cuba. They did that for that very same reason. And on that Montreal Royals club, Tommy Lasorda was on that team. Uh, remember the rifleman, the Western show, Chuck Connors? He was mm-hmm. the first baseman on that club. Wow. Great story. I love that show. I never knew that. That's amazing. Chuck Connors, uh, yeah. yeah, he was. He, was, he played minor league baseball in the Dodgers system, played a little bit in Brooklyn, played for the Los Angeles Lakers for a period of time. And when I was a kid, I mean, he came up to the rodeo in Canada back in 61 or 62. And I, every kid was a little Winchester repeating rifles. That Chuck Connors, the Pope. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, all right, let's wrap up with this, Al. Um, the World Series is uh, approaching fast. Who are the two teams you think will be in the big dance this year? The Dodgers are the National League and the Houston Astros are the American League. All right, I'm, I'm hoping that comes true and the Dodgers get revenge for a couple of years ago. Thanks so much for joining us on the program, Al. We look forward to hearing you on the air- airwaves again next year. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Well, that applause is going on forever. They're happy. That's the wonderful singing voice of Christine Bandalo and her husband, uh, Kevin Dabbs, on the voice work. You know what? You should get those two to sing uh, O Canada next year at a game. They, huh. they they did a version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game together uh, that, that we, we never ended up using it because her voice is so awesome. But them together, it'd be good. It, it, the the voice cool. of the Prospects podcast uh, singing O Canada. We need to make it happen. That's get, we're going to definitely uh, make that happen. Yep. And maybe we'll get them on the I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But we you will get them, uh, <laughs> should get them at your game because they have wonderful singing voices and they're a local. And I know Kev, their son Jack loves baseball. They, Jack and Kevin went to a, a Kershaw bobblehead night at uh, Dodger Stadium. So a uh, big baseball fan. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely look into that uh, down the road. But as for Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia, we just talked about uh, Dave Winfield in history class, and, and this is such a, a cool trivia question. So Dave Winfield was drafted by four teams in three different sports. 
Um, you have to name all of them. Name all of them in an email <laughs> to prospects baseball show at gmail.com oh, or if you're uh, Jack Cookson from Pro-Am Sports you could just text me the answer as uh, he does constantly uh, I was in there the other day though and they have some uh, really cool um, baseball memorabilia he's a Giants fan I won't hold that against yeah. him um, but they do have a lot more rings so so I went in to, uh, to visit with him and have a chat and he's like oh just put your water bottle down on that it was a Tim Lincecum uh, coaster I'm like you're just throwing it in my face here right like, all of a sudden the water doesn't yeah, taste exactly. as good yeah, yeah. but the super freak was awesome eh? Lincecum oh. uh, that guy you know who he reminds me of and I told Jack he reminds me of Mitch Kramer Dazed and confused. Oh, yeah. Remember the oh, little 100%. kid with the long hair throwing base Always. to pitcher and then they chase him? Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's, that, that's Tim Lincecum as a kid, right? There's, uh, there's and a, Dazed and confused goes along with Tim Lincecum's lifestyle, too. A little too. bit, yeah, a yeah. little bit. There's, uh, there's a player coming I think he's with the Angels organization. You're going to see uh, Lincecum's delivery 2.0 here. No coming. way. It, it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. Uh I always reminded me of Nuke Lelouch a little bit. Remember that delivery when he's like your eyelids in the back yeah. of your head, Fernando Venezuela, and he's wearing the garters and stuff. So anyway, name name all the teams. Uh, if four teams in three different sports drafted Dave Winfield. I'll give you a hint. The there's the one sport has has two teams. It was invented. That sport was invented by a Canadian. That's your hint. That's a curveball right there. It's not there. hockey, by the way, either. <laughs> Dave Winfield was not great on uh, on skates. So, Dave Winfield was drafted by four teams in three different sports. Name them, and um, you will uh, receive an email back from us with the pride that you have won for naming that contest. <sighs> it's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. By the way, do you notice that that Bellinger home run in that intro is off Bumgarner? <laughs> that knew. was by design, by yeah. the way. <laughs> um, okay. Fantasy baseball. Yeah. I've been out for a while. You know, I've been watching guys dropping like flies. Like if you had Sh- Otani or Shohei Otani or Mike Trout and you're going into the finals, you don't have a- either of them now. Mike Trout is out for the season. Christian Yelich, as we mentioned. Javier Baez, uh, Craig, like all these. Rizzo. Rizzo, all these. And Addison Russell is, uh, you know, he's he's been uh, out. Uh, but all these guys, suspended rather, uh, you know, and, and, and even like, you know, Julio Urias, if you had him as a relief pitcher, he's been suspended. So there's yeah. been some some tough breaks for fantasy players here in the last little while. First of all, are you even in fantasy baseball anymore? It's a sad ending to the season, mm. Dino. I woke up this morning. Uh, I knew yesterday that it wasn't going to happen. But uh, today, officially, it, I am eliminated. So I'm in the third place, third place week. I'm hopeful to get that. I'd like to have a little bit of something for, for the year and... and uh, third place gets a little bit of a prize in our league. So um, I was up against the juggernaut of all juggernauts, which is crazy because he's got Yelich, he's got Trout, and he's got Rizzo. Jeez. So losing Rizzo at the end of the, that 
he had already done his damage against me. So there's a there's a big spot for the uh, competitor against him in the finals this week. He's got three of the the top top hitting guys out for the final week. But and you um, said Bellinger too. He has he has Bellinger who's, who's cold, just cold, yeah, <laughs> dude. And he still has guys. It's, and it's he's still in the final. He's got Degrom. You know, Degrom's on fire. Uh, had a tough start this year. Apparently, there was uh, an issue that uh, he was tipping his pitches. Um, so his beginning to the year wasn't DeGrom-like. However, he is Jacob DeGrom still right now. Uh, I've seen two of his starts on the, the Mets network there, the the, the cable uh, channel 61 or 62. His last two starts, he was against the Braves. Uh, this past weekend, he was against uh, the Dodgers. Um, that guy, the unbelievable man. Like 98, 91, 92 slider, throws a changeup in there, commands it. Um He's huge. I mean, he's top five right now. Uh, the last week, he's third. Uh, Chris Bryant has got the most home runs in the first five years in Cubs history. He's on fire That's right now. That's crazy, eh? Jason Hayward's on fire. Like, Chris Bryant is is an absolute killer in the middle of a lineup. He's been so consistent his whole career. He's uh-huh. still young. Um yeah, I don't know if the Cubs have what it takes with a couple of those injuries now with Rizzo out and, and Russell and Baez and Kimbrell. But Chris okay. Bryant's a player. When you mentioned DeGrom, tipping pitches. Okay, tipping pitches versus stealing the sign. Yeah. What's, is there, there's a difference? Like, uh, yeah, are, the pitcher. So the pitcher may get into some sort of rhythm uh, where, where you know, his glove is slightly altered. Like You've got to watch a ton of video to figure this out. Well, yeah, I think there's some I, video. There's the naked eye can pick this up. Like when you're when you're trained, you're looking for certain things. Um, so I'll give you I'll give you an example. The the my first time in the WNBL. Now it's a WCBL. We were I was with the Sherwood Park Dukes in 2008. We were mm-hmm. in Moose Jaw. We were facing a pretty good guy on the mound. Uh, no, sorry, this is 09 with Swift Current. Sorry about that. Uh, we're in Moose Jaw facing their best guy. He's righty. He's mowing us down. Um, and I'm on the bench. I think I was DHing this game. And, I, and I'm like, we got, I'm going to look for something. So I really focused in on him when I wasn't hitting and, and he was tipping his pitches. So hmm. what he was doing was, uh, when you wear your glove, most guys have their index finger outside the glove. Okay. And then all their other fingers are inside. He would raise his finger, his index finger on his glove when he was throwing a fastball. Wow. You and picked it was, that up from the dugout? And, and, and it was pressed, pressed against his glove for breaking balls. And it was clear as day, and you could see it from the plate. Oh man! And you could see it from the bench. So the first three innings, I mean, he must he struck out seven, yeah. eight guy, like he was mowing us down. And then he figured it out. And then the fourth inning, everything changed, and we got it's on. Like, he uh, must have been absolutely shot. Like what the what, heck? What happened? It's like a D lineman. You know, when you see his knuckles, uh, ten, they, they talk about you know you watch knuckles, you watch hands, and he's coming after you. He's laying back. Uh, that's amazing. So that's that's much different than stealing signs. Like I, I look yeah. back, the shot heard around the world. Bobby Thompson in 1955 uh, uh, for the Giants to beat the the Dodgers, they were stealing signs. Like they knew what Ralph Branca was going to throw. Now Bobby Thompson has said he didn't. He always said I didn't. St- I didn't know what was coming in this one, but we knew the signs. Is that part of baseball? Yeah, hundred percent. You need to. <laughs> so we had that it, thing with little you, league. If, yeah, if your signs get stolen, it's on your fault. Is that you, you know you? That's should, how I view it. Okay. Um, you know, we talked to our guys this like summer. There's not a code that you can't, you shouldn't steal signals. Well, I think if if it if it's going on, maybe you could you brush somebody back if you don't like what's happening. But okay. ultimately, if you don't change your signs, they're going to keep doing it. Um, 
you know, you're trying to get an edge and an advantage and, and signs are part of the game. If, sure. if they're yeah. easily detectable, um, you want as much information as you can. Sure. So yeah. uh, we talked to our catchers, so it's pitch calling, catcher signs. Um, you know, there's a couple of standard no. sets of signs that young teams, you know, high school teams, uh, junior high teams use, you know, second sign, uh, first sign after one. If I'm a base runner, which I used to be, I'm looking for these Mm. Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And if it starts showing that it is one yeah, of those, then you, you gotta you gotta wait a little bit to see if it keeps yeah, happening, yeah, right? So, yeah. uh, catchers, um, you know, call the games. How much of it comes from the dugout? That depends on who's on the mound. Uh, depends on what your relationship with the catcher is. Um, like, for, how much would you guys do this year? We was didn't. It? We let our guys call okay. a lot. Do you, um, do you prefer that? I do prefer yeah. that. As long as the catcher, like you had Jake Gary this year, pretty pretty good at yeah, calling the games. Yeah, and Jake McDonald and Bo Gilbo. That's right, yeah. Um, you know, each guy has their own mindset of how they want to work with the pitcher stuff. A lot of times, like if, if if you know his curveball's not working today, where where I like to get involved in this, and like we we would call things at times, like hey, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I like working with my catchers. You know, part of our league is a development league. Um, I want to try and give them as much information as I can to help them rather than tell them what to do all the time. I I, I don't like that style as a coach. But between innings, there'd be, there'd be situations like, hey, sure. let's have a chat. What were we doing there? What was our mindset there? Um, this is what I think would work. You know, what, how's he going? Does he have command with this pitch? Well, let's use that pitch here. I want to, let's pound inside on yeah, this Yeah, you have guy. to have communication, right? Um, you so, should be doing that quite a bit. Yeah. And I'm probably sure you do, right? Quite often, yeah. quite often. And that's Especially where we like young to. age. Right? Yeah, for sure. And that's where we like to, you know, call our pitches in the inning previous. Hey, these are the guys coming up. You know, they're lefty, you know, Warden in Lethbridge. That lefty, man, like this is what we want to do to get him mm-hmm. out. Let's, let's stick with that plan make him prove that he can get us on our plan. Okay, so you know I hate the shift. Um, did it, to, 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 for how the shift work effectively, you have to have a lot of research on the player, the batter. Do you not? Like, would there have been enough time in your season for you to have made a decision to say, we can play the shift on this guy? Did you do it? Like, it, it, doesn't it, don't you need a ton of data and you might not have that data in such a short season that you have. Am I off base here? No, uh, you do need data. Um, I don't think you need um, multi. You don't need a ton to know what the guy's doing. And and frankly, you can tell a lot by their swing and their first at bat against your ball club. Okay, um, so maybe now, I am. Okay. Now, whether they also have another part to their game that they can go the other way with authority. Um, you maybe you don't know that in game one, uh, but. By the end of the season, you do have a pretty good idea of where guys are hitting the ball. Um, we do chart that. We do take a peek on those things. Um, I'm actually surprised we didn't run the shift. I'm not against doing it. I've done it at the college level uh, at VI many times over the years. Um, I had a little, probably a little bit more information uh, against players that I'd seen for two, three years. Right. You know, over you know six games, eight games throughout every year. You get a feel for where they're at. Um, you can pick up a lot of information on the first step bat. You can look at swing path. You can look at where's his balance. You know, does he have these certain things? Do we think he can go where we're not positioned? Um, I, like I said, you know, I'm surprised I didn't use it. Mm. Most of the guys, uh, you know, I never felt that, that took advantage of holes on the field. There were a couple players that were left-handed hitters that we, re- we would tell our second bit, Hey, get way over. 
Like get closer to first base. They're not going up the middle. If it's on the ground, it's more three hole. Um, There's a couple times we shifted our shortstop almost behind second base, not quite still on the left side of the infield. Um, and when that happened, you know, you did the third baseman pulls into the six hole as well. So there was minor shifting going on, no overload shifting. Um, that it, it's part of the game. It's definitely something that I'm not afraid to use. It just kind of seems like we never really use it where we did a lot of, uh, defensive aggressiveness was taking away potential bunts on certain players. Mm. Um, I'm, I played third base growing up. I, I just don't want to see guys have that success against us. I want to see him hit the ball past my third baseman. So in certain situations, we really had the guy up, you know, 15, 20 feet in front of the bag and just said, you're not going to bunt on us. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to happen. Bunting is a way to get around the shift, though. You can, yeah. At the big league level, it's difficult to bunt 95 cutters and, and, you know, 91 sliders. So it's it's not as easy as sometimes us fans watching the game. No, but it's an effect. If you can bunt effectively, it's a way to beat the shift. And it's a way to keep their position players in their true true spots, for sure, yeah. Okay, so fantasy baseball, let's wrap this up. Will you pay attention to the fantasy baseball final? Like I've already, like I have my fantasy leagues pinned up. It's already <laughs> gone. Like I'm, I'm, I don't care who wins our league anymore. I don't want to watch. I'm like, I, I asked Jordan Martinuk um, when he was in the summer. I said, did you watch after you guys got beat? He's like, no, man, I don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way I am with fantasy. When I'm out, I don't yep. care. Uh, I'm still watching baseball, but I'm not paying attention to fantasy. Will you? Check in on the fantasy. Well, I've got, I've got one more week. Uh, third place gets oh, uh, yeah, prize. Third place, so. yeah. This is what third place gets in our league. Zero point zero. So you guys have some <laughs> kind of structure where you guys like have a uh, thanks a participation ribbon for being third, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not bad. Why doesn't everybody get a ribbon in your league? Might as well get a, <laughs> you get a ribbon, you get a ribbon, you get a ribbon. Well, we don't want the winner to, to absolutely take home this huge <laughs> prize. So, all right, we're uh, true Canadians. Uh, this is. Uh, this is something that uh, I've been really uh, looking forward to doing as um, we are going to take a look at uh, our top five fantasy baseball movies. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Bonds with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play. It's time to build your all-time team. All right, all-time team. And uh, before we kind of get into ours, uh, I want to get to um, some of the uh, lists that uh, came in. I I threw this out on Twitter. And uh, Tony Harrington, uh, which... uh, as a, a familiar name says, mm-hmm. of course, Bull Durham for the love of the game. But for me, the rookie and Sandlot. And I'll tell you, I didn't get a chance to watch uh, the rookie or Sandlot this weekend. Uh, but here, here, I'll just quickly tell you the movies I haven't watched that I want to get to. Bang the Drum Slowly, which I heard is a really not the easiest to, to watch, but still good. Sandlot, uh, Pride of the Yankees, uh, you know, an, an, an old timer. Fear Strikes Out. Sugar, which I heard is a good one. The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg, Soul of the Game, and Everybody Wants Them. So those are some different ones uh, that I wanted to get to, but uh, uh, some of these will come up. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris rather, uh, Kushnerick says, one, Boulderham, two, Major League, three, the Battered Bastards of Baseball, 
uh, an awesome documentary on the Portland Mavericks and independent baseball, Moneyball and Sandlot. Have you ever heard of the battered uh, bastards of baseball? Yeah, it's next up on my Netflix Netflix oh, to watch. Good, I'm, I'm glad. I just watched Screwball uh, this weekend, uh, the the docu uh, documentary on uh, the uh, biogenesis. The bio, oh, sorry, yeah, I, yeah, I stalled yeah, yeah. on that name. Biogenesis, the Florida Tony Bosch, A Rod. Yeah, you know, and I know the story. It was a really good, uh, really good snapshot of that time and and how it actually played out. I love documentaries. I yeah, love me history. Too. Me I, too. I, like I watched Forty Two this weekend with like, uh, and I just constantly looked up guys' Wikipedia pages yeah. to be like, oh, I want to learn more about Duke Schneider. I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more about this guy who's a jerk to Jackie Robinson. <laughs> yeah. uh, Norman a Combine says Boulder a Major League Sandlot for the love of game and Moneyball. Um, uh, Cam Levens, uh, he says, I'll have to think about my five favorite movies, but I know what my favorite scene comes from my wife's favorite baseball movie, and it was uh, A League of Their Own, which is a great movie as well. Uh, Bruce Hamilton says, Bull Durham, The Natural, awesome movie. I, I, I did not appreciate Robert Redford or as, as uh, much as I should have uh, growing up. Eight Men Out, Trouble with the Curb, League of Their Own, Major League, uh, The Rookie, Getting Votes, um... Some of these are the same. Uh, Field of Dreams coming in for the first time uh, on a, a list. 61 with the uh, the asterisk. That's I think Billy Crystal did that. It's a documentary, uh, I think. Yeah, it was actually just on Crave, uh, the HBO channel there yesterday. I taped it. I had some plans, but uh, I'm going to watch it again. I, I love that movie. All right. Did you see Cobb? With, uh, yeah, it's been a while. With uh, Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. Uh, who is Who is the the other actor in that? I've never seen it, so okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It's 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 you're not gonna find it in my top five, but yeah. I'm a big fan of the baseball style, the tight like hard nose, killer. Yeah. As as a person, there's some issues there. Yeah, but you know, I think a lot of that got misrepresented. Like I read an article where he th was praising the hell out of Jackie Robinson. Now, for a guy who was a notorious racist, why would you do that? Unless he was trying to repair his image later on, but um, I, I think Ty Cobb was not a nice person, but I think some of the stuff was overblown. Like, I'm not saying he was a good person off the field. He was, he berated bad yeah. boys and things <laughs> like that. But, uh, I don't know. Uh, Van Banana says there is not enough Mr. Baseball mention in any of these <laughs> lists. Was that Tom Selleck? Yeah. No. Or was that Baseball 3000? I don't know what, I don't know Mr. Mr. Baseball, Baseball. Tom Selleck and then Mr. 3000 was Bernie Mac. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> Uh, Moneyball, Major League for the Love of the Game, Sandlot, Bull Durham, uh, The Natural, Getting a Vote, uh, Bull Durham, Hashtag Meat, which is, uh, so why is he calling me Meat? I'm the one with the Porsche. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm just trying to, Little Big League is uh, getting in there. Uh, Trouble with the Curve, as we heard from Al Coates, that's a really good movie. Um, Fever Pitch. Based on uh, the Boston Red Sox winning the uh, World Series was made into a good movie. So here, how about this? Uh, Jacques Cartier says, here is my hot take on the subject, but Boulderham is not a baseball movie. Okay, uh, are we getting uh, into this Die Hard a Christmas <laughs> movie now? Like, how is Boulderham not a baseball movie? You know what's, you know what's a good baseball movie that doesn't get mentioned enough? Brewster's Millions. They play the Yankees, man. <laughs> Yeah, Bull Durham uh, for me is a baseball movie. There, there is some other potential drama and, and rom com, but it's, it's a, a baseball. It's movie. a baseball movie. Okay, what do you got? Lay your top five on me. Am I going five to one? You betcha. Right you. now, right through five to one. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear forty-two. That way they won't tell us apart. 
So I got uh, 42 in my five spot. Um, I really love the the Bosworth, the actor. I, I believe that's his name. I, I, I Bozeman, love Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, uh, he also Bozeman. Play, he played Thurgood Marshall. Uh, obviously, he was in Black Panther. Yeah. And uh, there was another historical figure that he has played as well. So he's played some uh, heavy historical uh, uh, actors. Yeah, I thought he, like, the athleticism he showed in, in the, the style of running and, and how far down his body was over top of his legs and, and just all that, plus the story of Jackie, uh, what he's meant to multiple different things in life baseball you know civil rights civil rights well, um, martin luther king uh and they they said jackie robinson uh and historians have said jackie robinson you know helped that movement along so much by breaking that color barrier huge um he's got a lot of respect for that whole story obviously what he's meant to uh, to the world and people in general i thought harrison ford was awesome yeah he was he really was good Harrison, I love Harrison Ford. Like he had just like the mannerisms yeah. really, really down. And, you know, they showed Red Barber. The one thing I did read is, uh, you know, Red Barber doing the play-by-play when Jackie Robinson hits that home run and he's like, oh, doctor. I read like he would, he never even was friends with the players because he never wanted it to taint his image. But it makes, you know, you, you have a bit of a creative license uh, with, with movies and stuff like that. But I loved it. Uh, it was just a great historical story. Yeah, totally. Uh, so number four. Uh, throw it back to the old school sandlot. Squints, squints. Come on, squints, come on. This magic moment. <laughs> Little pervert. Such a classic. We uh, we had that on the bus uh, mm-hmm. this summer a couple of times. That's where your killing me smalls comes from, right? You're killing me okay, smalls, Benny the Jets. My uh, my old producer Connor Halley, who's who will appear later on Sports and More Live with me talking football, he would always use that line. You're killing me smalls. <laughs> and then we used uh, we used to have this thing called fake locker room sound after Oiler games on the post game show, and we used the the scene where I think it's ba- is it Babe Ruth that comes to talk to the kid. Yeah. Yeah. We use that scene a lot. It's classic. It uh, <laughs> to t- <laughs> to not know who the great Bambino is. Yeah, like the whole premise of the movie is, is just classic, uh, and it's a really good story of kids coming together as friends and then a common purpose and mm-hmm. finding common ground. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, really good. Uh, number three, baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. supposed to be hard if it wasn't hard everyone would do it the hard is what makes it great ball players i've got ball players i've got girls uh tom hanks did a great job of that movie i love a league of their own whenever it's on tv i I end up watching it again um jimmy dugan um some people think my bench coach this summer coach boyk looks like jimmy dugan which is perfect um that movie is just a home run man like every part of that uh just a really great feel you know obviously tom hanks is Jeta davis madonna uh, rosie o'donnell was good in it yeah everybody everybody uh great movie love that movie love the story too um considering georgia peaches there was uh (laughs) uh you know uh you know people from edmonton ladies and i've interviewed them that played in that league against and with the georgia peaches it's cool unbelievable um Really, yeah, the whole premise of men are at just, war. Let's yeah. watch women's baseball. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah, and it, did. And it was a great movie. Love that uh, League of Their Own. That's in my three hole. Okay. Now the one two slots were were you know toss ups. I, I I went back and forth. Who's number one? 
Um, I've got Bull Durham as my number two. Excuse me, what the hell's going on out here? Well, Nook's scared because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. We need a live, was it a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. We're yeah. dealing with a lot of okay, Well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift and uh, maybe you can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get two. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> But like my two and one, I'll just put my other one up there right now because I got to talk to talk about them together. Major League is my mm -hmm. favorite. Um, Lou Brown, Serrano, Willie Mays, Hayes. Uh, he's got a hundred batting gloves. What, what you said about Lou Brown? Let me think it over, will you, Charlie? <laughs> I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later. The the voice, uh, the like the the managing style. Uh, the hilarity behind the whole season and Rick Vaughn, we wear sleeves at this level. I got news for you, Mr. Brown. You haven't heard the last of me. You may think I'm now, but someday you're going to be sorry that you cut me. I'm going to catch you on somewhere else, and every time that I pitch against you, I'm going to stick it up, you Good. I like that kind of spirit in a player. The only problem is I didn't cut you. What? I think someone's been having some fun with you. Uh, pump you, you, may, you may, what does he say? You may run like, uh, Hayes. This Willie Mays Hayes. You may run like Hayes, but you hit like bleep, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I love the uh, the scene that you sent me on Twitter where Roger Dorn's coming up with his contract. And <laughs> you, you imagine doing that today? Lou Brown, you know, takes a leak on it. Classic. And then, you know, so it, my favorite movies, Major League by a Slim Hair, Slim Martin, and, and Bull Durham. I mean, both those movies uh, for me as I was, you know, entering teenagehood, that's like 12, 13 is kind of when I remember first being exposed to these movies. Um, I learned a lot about the game through these movies. Um, you know, and obviously from baseball coaches taught me the game, but those movies, you know, help kind of get you into the, the baseball as a lifestyle. You know, this is how you act. This is how you comport yourself. Um, the, the the classic funniness on the in the dugout in the clubhouse, like all that's real. You know, it's not it's not serious all the time. There's a lot of downtime, and I think both those movies uh, they do a good job of outlining that. I love. I, I watched a scene the other day where Serrano's up to bat in batting practice, and then they start throwing him curveballs, <laughs> and he's not even close to it. And Ricky Vaughn. Um, he like throws it in between them and hits the sign and they're like, how fast has to like, this is so great that, you know, the Ricky Vaughn. And then you had the old religious guy, uh, the, the, the old veteran pitcher and Harris. Uh, Harris. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really good. Uh, okay. So, uh, recap your, uh, top five again, five to one. I got uh, 42 in the five hole. I got Sandlot in the four. I've got a league of their own Jimmy Dugan in the three. I've got Bull Durham in the two, and number one, I've got Major League. All right. Uh, I got a tie at number five. Okay. I'm sorry. I can't break it. It's <laughs> yeah. 42 yeah. and the natural. Uh, yeah. You know, I, Roy Hobbs' story is, is is a cool story. I found it a little bit weird. Wonder Boy. Yeah, like they, you know, and I don't want to spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen it, but, you know, he's about to embark on this career, something happens, and they... 
They don't really go back to it a lot. That was the only problem I have, but I love the story. Lightning strikes the tree, makes a bat, and then, you know, it goes on. And it's Robert Redford, man. The guy, like, Jeremiah Johnson is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Uh, I love that Newman and Redford worked together at a young age. You know, Pacino and uh, De Niro did Heat when they were so... Imagine Pacino and De Niro in their heyday together. And that's what I loved about Robert Redford. He was so awesome. Uh, and there's some big stars in that movie, too. Uh, uh, Kim Basinger is in that movie. Um, there was, uh, there was a couple other big names uh, in that movie. So number five, uh, tie between the natural and 42. And, and you talked about 42. Uh, I'm a big Dodger fan. I love Branch Rickey's uh, character. Uh, I love that Pee Wee Reese came over and put his arm around him when they were in Cincinnati. And cause I was worried. I, I didn't. I, I was worried I was going to start not liking some players from Dodger history. Yeah. And, and I really didn't, the guys that they didn't like them, they got rid of them. Like when when Louis De, when Lou DeRoche comes in in that scene and says, "If he, I don't care if he's black, white, yellow, he has zebra stripes. If he can help us win, he's gonna play." And you know it was it was awesome. And I I, I love that uh, Montreal was a part of it. Canada yeah. was a part. They don't really visit Montreal in the movie because nothing bad happened. They loved him in Montreal. That what Harper or Chapman or whatever the Phillies manager that was just saying just disgusting things. And, you know, I can't imagine. Like, Jackie Robinson might be the strongest-willed person I, I've ever seen for him to go through. And Jesse Owens, if you've never seen the movie Race about the 1936 Olympics, it's amazing, too. But the, the stuff that Jackie Robinson had to deal well, with. And Pee Wee Reese coming up to Jack, put his arm yeah, around him and, yeah. and saying, hey, why don't we all wear number 42 so they can't tell us apart? Yeah, yeah, it's so great. <laughs> I, I love when they bring in the next manager and the guy says, are you Robinson? Like he's the only colored guy in the, like they're trying to break the ice a little <laughs> yeah. bit, right? And but anyway, so 42 and the natural are in my number 5 hole. Uh, number 4, I'm going with Moneyball. I thought it was I thought Brad awesome. Pitt was awesome. Yeah. I thought Jonah Hill was awesome. I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe was amazing. And the back and forth that they had about the lineup, and you can't start, uh, what's his name, Hatterberg starting. No, I'm not. I'm starting this guy. No, I traded him. Like, it's just, and, and the whole story of his scout just didn't know anything to do with him, right? And and by the end of the year, and I love Billy Bean's story, never watched the games, and just, it's just a fantastic story on what can be a very dry subject, right? Yeah. Baseball analytics can get a little bit dry, and they told a great story story about it so moneyball is my number four uh, number three is field of dreams i just uh watched it again the other night I, I, listen i i was a, a very stoic person my whole life i kept a lot of things bottled up I, i've since um uh, embraced the fact that i do have mental health issues now um i can't stop crying at these baseball movies man i was yeah. sitting in my room crying at field of dreams because it's such a great story i don't know what it is but i i just it's it's weird man like i told my wife i'm like i'm crying at baseball i'm there's no crying in baseball. Apparently there's crying when you're watching baseball, but Field of Dreams is such, like I read the book when I was a kid, W.P. Kinsella wrote it, uh, yep. Born in Edmonton, so it's a great story. Um, and, and I just love the whole romanticism of like who the hell would plow their prize crop to build a baseball field for ghosts? It's it's just such an amazing story. So I'm going with Field of Dreams, number two. And Kevin Costner, pretty big baseball guy. Um, number one, no, nope. number one. We won a game yesterday. Or number two, sorry. We win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. So let's see some hustle. Let's jack it up a little. 
I got a feeling things are about to turn around for us. Lou Brown was awesome. The he, you mentioned he was so good in that movie. So Major League uh, is the the number two movie uh, that I am uh, going with, and and we talked about it. There's so many great characters. Uh, you know the sequels were okay, but that first one, like you know Roger Dorn and and uh, uh, Charlie Sheen's character, it's slipping my mind. Rick Vaughn. Uh, Rick Vaughn, yeah, yeah, the wild thing, yeah. Like, their their interaction and... Todd Frazier got hit uh, the other night. Yeah, I was yeah. watching the game. Yeah. I text you. Yeah. Yeah. He got hit in the hand. He kind of, like, walked down to first base. <laughs> I'm like, he looks like Roger Dorn yeah, right now. Totally, yeah. And he got pinch run for. Yeah. Once he got to the scoring position, they, they pulled him off. I, I could just imagine he was shaking his hand. Nope. Oh, my no. God. And then, obviously, Jake, uh, the catcher, yeah. right? Tom Berenger, the, 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 the classic the, leader. I love the, the, the pointing at the end and then the lays it down and Willie Mays Hayes it was so good um uh, it, yeah it's it's a really good movie speaking of how about Mike Fire's mustache the other day oh yeah, classic what was that <laughs> somebody said it looked like a cattail sitting on his face oh man I love baseball uh, baseball is awesome okay so the number one movie for me in baseball you lollygag the ball around the infield you lollygag your way down to first you lollygag in and out of the dugout you know what that makes you? Larry? Larry? Lollygaggers. All right, so that's Bull Durham, yep. of course. And, you know, that, that's the manager. The stars are obviously uh, um, Kevin Costner and uh, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, of course. How about, uh, how about Kevin Costner and his movies, yeah, baseball three, movies? three baseball <laughs> movies, right? Like, uh, and for Bull Love Durham, of the Game is great. Like, a, a top five Greens, is tough. And then what's the other one? Love, love the Game. game yeah, yeah. yeah, like, tough to do a top five because there's more, way more movies that I mm. actually really did love, too. So... I mean, he's all over the list. Uh, it's uh, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon ended up being a, a longtime couple. Yeah. And who, you know, who can forget Tim, his best movie is probably Shawshank, obviously. Yeah. But he was so good as Nuke Lelouch and, uh, you know, trying to figure it out. And, you know, Costner, his speech on the bus about the uh, the show and all uh, Nuke Lelouch wants to do is play his guitar and drive his Porsche. And just the love triangle. Like, it's it. there is so much more about baseball, but it is. A, you know, my, one of my favorite parts is... They're doing the. They're on the road, and the broadcast crew's at home, and they got like the of the sound of the crack of the bat, and they're they're making it all up and stuff. It's just everything about it was great. They they they're on a losing streak, so they go put the sprinklers on. And uh, Bull Durham is every and and we had Ethan Elias on last week, and he said, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of similar. Like you travel on crappy buses, you eat crappy food, but you become a team. Yeah. Uh, the bonds you create, uh, you know, and Ethan spoke to that. Some some of the guys that are, that he's friends with that have made it up all the way. You know, it's just the bonds you create there are unbreakable. You're going through the same journey and you're competing against each other ultimately, but you're competing with each other at the same time. It's uh, yeah, it's you're a, all trying to get to the major yeah, level. It's, it's a cool bond that you create that way. All right, so 42 and the natural are tied for five. Moneyball, Field of Dreams, Major League, and Bull Durham. I had uh, Bad News Bears in there, and I watched that the other day, too. I just don't remember. Like, I, I'm shocked when I go back and watch Bad News Bears at the la Like, it's just not acceptable anymore, that kind of language, right? It's just, I'm like, ah, I loved this movie when I was a kid. Now as an adult, it makes me kind of cringe at, at some of the stuff that they say. The story is cool. The Bad News Bears, they do great and whatever. But, like, the, the managers in that, like Walter Matthau and then the other guy, 
they're terrible people. Yeah. yeah I, I never like really got into guy, the Bad News Bears. The one guy's kid is pitching. and <laughs> the, Oh, my God. Anyway, the Bad News Bears is like, uh, it's cringeworthy. It has some entertaining moments, but you know, different time, uh, yeah. different era, yeah. obviously. So uh, Trouble with the Curve, I wanted to get in there. And Brewster's Millions, I wanted to get in there as well. But I just, uh, just could not fit them in. Um, as for then versus now, um, the best latest movie... The newest top movie that we've seen for me, it would be 42. Uh, that came out in 2013. Um, Moneyball was 2010 or 11, and Trouble of the Curb was 2012. But those would be the three movies lately, and, and all very different movies, right? Uh, one is about 1947. One is current day, uh, as far as uh, the, the uh, Trouble with the Curb, and Moneyball was was. You know, 20, the 2004 season. Yeah, we had 2004. Yeah. So all different kind of eras. And um, you're right. The stuff, the historical stuff they got right in 42 is incredible. Yeah. It, it was fun to watch. Uh, Moneyball was great too. I really love that movie. And, and and I've always been partial. I liked the A's organization ever since I was a little, little person. Love the unis. Love the unis, the white cleats. Um, maybe we should throw what the what's the worst baseball movie, and I think maybe some people might throw oh, that okay. up at uh, Summer Catch, the Freddie Prince Jr. in the Cape Cod <laughs> League. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh, get us shoot us a text at Prospects Pod, at or tweet rather at Prospects Pod at Jordan Blundell for uh, and at Doc Millard as well as at EDM Prospects. Tell us what the worst baseball movie yeah. is. You can email us prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, the worst baseball movie. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with that. Okay, so next week, here's what we're doing. We're going to do top 5s uh, for the remainder of uh, till the season starts up or whatever. Next week, we are doing top 5 nicknames in sports, sport in baseball, baseball yeah, right, yeah, in, yeah. In, in baseball, sorry, top five nicknames in baseball. Um, now these are individuals, so don't write in and say the Yankees. Like uh, now you could write the in Bronx and say Bombers. Yeah, you could say the Bronx Bombers if you wanted, um, or you could say like the Gas House Gang, which was uh, uh, like I think it was the Reds. Was it the Reds in the fifties? Uh, uh, but big anyway, red machine, the, you know, the big red machine. Um, there's, you know, there's, but then there's great individual nicknames, yeah. catfish hunter, doc <laughs> Gooden, like the, the nicknames probably in better than any other sport, uh, in, in baseball. So next week we're doing top five nicknames. You can submit them to us at prospects pod on Twitter, or you can email us prospects, baseball show at gmail.com. And maybe next week we'll have some answers about, Remax Field, but uh, man, this has been fun. Al yep. Coates was a, a good interview. I love the movies, and we're getting a couple of weeks away from the playoffs, so this is one of the best times to be a baseball fan for sure. It really it? is. I'm looking forward to the playoffs, Dino. All right. Uh, thank you so much uh, to everybody uh, for joining us on the uh, program today. Al Coates, legendary baseball voice in Edmonton, and your submissions for your top five baseball movies. We're back next Monday. Ban the shift. It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. <laughs>